Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you. Hoping you're all in good form this morning. John Paul's taking your calls at 1850-333-103. And since we've come in this morning, we've been getting a lot of calls into the programme. The phone lines have been quite busy. But in particular, we have been getting calls from the McCroom area about the possibility of a direct provision centre opening in the town of McCroom. Now, Speculation is mounting because the Riverside Park Hotel on the Killarney Road in McCroom was sold last week and many people in the McCroom area are of the belief that the Riverside Park Hotel is now going to be turned into a direct provision centre. Uh, And actually in today's Corkman newspaper, Bill Bill Brown is covering this topic. He's got a front page story saying that speculation has been rife in McCroom in recent days about the future of the Riverside Park Hotel. Now, Bill, in his piece, is quoting a reliable local source has confirmed that the hotel has been sold and why the building wouldn't be converted into a direct provision centre. It is believed it's going to be used to house asylum seekers on a temporary basis. Okay, so that's what Bill is writing about in the Corkman today. So we decided to get on to the Department of Justice and Equality to find out if it is going to be turned into a direct provision centre because they're responsible for opening direct provision centres and they've come back and said that they can confirm that no new direct provision accommodation centre has opened in McCroom. But that wasn't our question. Our question was, is one going to open? They're saying that no new one has opened. That's not that's not directly telling me that a direct provision centre isn't going to open. They do tell us, though, that they have sought expressions of interest for emergency temporary accommodation. It was advertised in the national media in January of this year. They're looking for bed and board in hotels and guest houses on a 12 to 24 week basis and the ad they say has led to a number of emergency locations being used on a short term basis. The Reception and Integration Agency, the RIA, of the Department of Justice has a legal duty to protect the identity of persons in the international protection process. As a result of this, they do not divulge the location details of emergency accommodation. They're also mindful of the right to privacy of 
applicants and so ends the statement that we got from the Department of Justice. Now we've got calls and feelers out trying to find out exactly what is going on because as I say that we're already getting calls this morning and not everyone is happy I have to say. People are concerned I think particularly about a direct provision centre opening in the town. Would I be right in saying that? More than if it was to house refugees because we know under our agreement with the UN we are housing refugees. Mainly Syrian refugees are being housed various places around the country. I was only reading this morning, I think it's in Leash, there is 112 Syrian refugees due to be housed in that particular uh, area but at the moment it's just all speculation but just to let people know because as I said so many calls came in this morning we're not ignoring the calls and if anything breaks and we hear any anything else any confirmation or denial as to what is happening to the future of the Riverside Park Hotel we're, we're endeavouring as well to try to find out who exactly bought we, th- we have a name who we think bought the Riverside Park Hotel so we're trying to get onto that company to see what are their plans because the hotel was sold and it's closed. Maybe it's going to reopen as a hotel. Who knows? 1850 If anybody else can fill us in or if anybody else has further information on that particular story, can you let us know, please? We would love to hear from uh, you. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, we are going to continue to get reaction to a piece that we had a lot of commentary on yesterday. And this is the, to do with the priest from Grona Brawer Father Thomas Walsh who wrote in the parish newsletter and he was just giving his personal opinion about what he sees as inappropriate he actually used the word appalling offertory gifts that are brought up during funeral masses and he quoted in particular he mentioned a can of beer he mentioned a packet of cigarettes a remote controlled TV a mobile phone and he took particular umbrage to Manchester United or Chelsea football jerseys. I don't think he seemed to mind a GAA jersey of somebody who'd been a lifelong player or a lifelong supporter of the local GAA club, but he didn't like somebody being a lifelong supporter of an English football team. He didn't see that as appropriate as an offertory gift at the funeral. And if nothing else, the man has created debate. And there was certainly a lot of debate yesterday on the programme. We had, we had a mixed reaction. We had people who applauded Father Walsh and he said he is dead right. People who said they had been at masses where they saw items that they felt were inappropriate. And then we had others who said, hang on now a minute, Father. These families are grieving. And it's getting through those first few days after the death of a loved one, preparing for the funeral, the removal, the actual funeral itself, the burial, if it's going to burial a cemetery or if you're going to the crematorium, they can be a tough few days. And usually they're supported and surrounded by people who offer, you know, as much support as they can to get families and brief people through those few days. And if it helps that somebody is inside in the church at the Mass, the last kind of bit, really, isn't it, before you go to the graveyard. And if it helps to have offertory gifts that remind people of the person who's passed away and maybe it puts a smile on somebody's face. I mean, the mobile phone, I'm assuming, will be brought up because the person was always stuck on the mobile phone. And that might bring a smile to somebody, you know, during the Mass. Is it doing any harm? We were getting that kind of reaction from some people yesterday. So we will be hearing from a a local priest who disagrees with Father Walsh and we'll hear his views. So not all priests 
are going down the line of what Father Walsh believes. And some commentary in, this was an email in from a listener. They, I have the name, but I don't know whether they want the name called out, so, so I won't because they haven't signed it at the end of the email. But it says, Hi Patricia, funerals have changed so much over the years and so has our way of mourning. During the times of the Merry Wake, there was a wake in the house before the funeral service and burial. This allowed people to come and console the family, pay their respects to the deceased have a cup of tea and maybe some refreshments. Food and drink usually arrived at the house from neighbours. So all the chat and the remembrances were done before the actual church services. Nowadays, with the funeral homes, that is not always possible, as the time we spend with the family of the deceased is really determined by the queue behind you. People then disperse very quickly until the day of the funeral. I think it's nice for the family and the neighbours and the friends to stay together for a cuppa and to remember the deceased. There are tears and laughter as the person is remembered. As regards offertory gifts, they should be respectful of the deceased. Years ago, there was gifts buried with the corpse to help them on their journey. So many coffins were buried with a little bottle of whiskey, tobacco, and are a pipe. This is still true today. There is no need to bring them to the altar. Times have changed. Death is always a leveller. That's thank you for that. And I, yeah, and you are right. People do still put little objects into coffins. I've seen you know families particularly put photographs uh, in. And I had a, a very good friend of mine whose husband passed away at a very very young age, and. Um, he loved his cigarettes his, and the cigarettes by the way didn't kill him uh, and she put a packet of cigarettes in his pocket and a lighter uh, just in case on the other side that he might need his packet of cigarettes uh, and his lighter so I think yeah people do I don't know if, if that's a very popular tradition but according to this listener that's what used to happen years ago and rather than them being used as offertory gifts because the whole idea of bringing offertory gifts up is a relatively modern it certainly wasn't something there back in the 60s, 70s. Did it come in in the 80s? I'm trying to think of when I started to see offertory gifts being brought up at funerals, probably from the 80s up, but certainly the 70s and, and, and behind that, it wasn't a common thing. So somebody wanted in some way to remember their loved one around the funeral. It's, you know, a token. It was placed in the coffin rather than brought to the uh, church. 1850-333-103. And then somebody else just on the whole topic of funerals says, seeing as you're discussing funerals, Patricia, the flu season is just around the corner. Is it not time to stop the practice of shaking hands with the mourners at the removal and the burial? For example, if one person with the flu coughs or sneezes onto their hand and then goes into the funeral home and shakes hands with, say, 20 people, they in turn shake hands with several other people over the next hour or so. How many people are cross-contaminated by the end of the funeral all down to one person going in and coughing or sneezing into their hand? Maybe if a sign was put up at the door of the funeral home that a nod of acknowledgement to the person you want to sympathise with with would suffice. And that signed a listener broke from buying sanitizer spray because that was going to be before I got to the end of the email I was thinking I'll just bring a little bottle of hand sanitizer with you because I don't think we will ever move away from actually shaking hands and the pressing of the flesh and I know at funerals particularly very tragic funerals were you know tens of hundreds it goes into thousands of people turn up to sympathise I always have huge sympathy 
for the bereaved the men in particular who might stand for very long periods of time shaking shaking hands, the hand would just be worn off them. But that's very much part of the tradition, flu season or not. I can never see us stopping that. I really, I really can't. And I know where you're coming from. And I know whenever the flu season breaks out, we'll have people go on about the sign of peace at Mass. It comes up every now and again on the programme and people are against the sign of peace. And I always say, you know, I would never insult somebody, you know, somebody put their hand out uh, to me regardless of what condition their hand was in or if they've been sneezing or coughing or splutting or whatever. I would always shake their hand. But I think if you are very I'm slow to use the word paranoid, but maybe it is a bit of paranoia of picking up an infection. Then a little bottle of hand sanitizer. But God help this poor person broke from the amount of hand sanitizer that they are using. Anyway, we will be discussing funerals once again on the programme today. North Main Street in Bandon has come under our radar. And I know North Main Street in Bandon is closed at the moment. And I'm open to correction, but I think it was due to reopen probably in about three weeks' time, the end of this month, with the theory being that you get all the work done during the school holidays so that you wouldn't be discommoding the school traffic. It now seems, and I don't know why, there seems to be some delays, but it seems that the North Main Street is not going to reopen. There's the possibility it could remain open for the month of September, which means for the first, at least first four weeks of the start of the new school term, there's going to be added traffic chaos in Bandon. So we'll find out a little bit more about it and I suppose get the word out just to warn people you're going to have to allow yourself certainly extra time in the morning if you're dropping the children to school and that can be if you're a working mom or dad and you're trying to drop the kids to school and then make it to work you may need to put your employers on standby that you might be a little bit late while that work uh, continues. Really looking forward to chatting with Anne Hurley on the programme uh, today. She's going to update us on her cancer battle this is following yet another operation. I don't know what number operation this is uh, for Anne, but there was another tumour detected and it was last month she was told the tumour had to be removed and last week she's had the tumour removed so she's now in the recovery uh, process. So we'll catch up and speak with a, a lady who has been truly and absolutely inspirational. I always, um, if you are if you are lucky enough to be one of her followers on Facebook, she has such a fantastic turn of phrase and is a gifted writer and a, a storyteller. She's just a brilliant storyteller. You can picture it in your mind when she puts up some of her Facebook posts, particularly the posts when she writes about himself, meaning her wonderful husband, uh, PJ, and the way she writes about him. You, even if she's writing about the most serious of topics, you can't help but smile. She's just gifted. She really, really is gifted. And I know she's been going through her bucket list. I think one of her bucket lists should be to write, write a book. I think she would be, it would be top of the bestseller list and she would have everybody on the floor rolling in laughter. She's just, she's wonderful. And we certainly love having her on the programme. So we'll speak with Anne um, 
in the second hour of the programme uh, today. And then after half past 12, it's Thursday. So Jane Pickett, our resident vet, will join us and she'll answer all of your pet questions. You can get the pet questions in throughout the morning and then we will put them to uh, Jane later on today. 1850-333-103. And thank you to somebody who sent in a text saying a lovely piece in The Echo uh, last night. This is where I actually featured in The Echo uh, last night. Somebody said, always nice to put a face to the voice. You looked fab. Thank you. Thank you for that. It was the piece that was in the Echo last night in the wow in the inside section. It was written by our own Martino Donoghue. I don't know how many people noticed that uh, or not last night because I know it got it, they put it up online as well yesterday. The Echo Live did and um, I don't know how many people realised it was our own Martino Donoghue who writes, she's a fine, fine journalist uh, as well as a fine radio presenter. She actually wrote the piece. She interviewed me and it was weird being interviewed by Martina because Martina's a friend of mine as well. And we actually, we went upstairs here in the radio station. God, it was back in, in June. It was after I came back from that trip to Belarus in May and we were t- we were doing, she'd asked me to do a piece about the trip to Belarus. And of course, I went into something completely different. Then it kind of took a sidetrack when she, she started talking to me and she asked me about Marsha's adoption and said, you know, I've never really chatted to you fully about the adoption. So that's kind of how this, how it started. And we just sat and had a chat and Martina recorded it. So it wasn't, so it was very relaxed and I didn't feel like I was being interviewed because... I do, I interview people so I always feel odd when somebody wants to interview me. You know, I always feel that I, I never give, that, that it, it feels unnatural to me I suppose so I feel that I'm being very false sometimes if, if I'm put in that position to interview. So I didn't with Martina. So we just sat down and we hit record and we just were shooting the breeze and spoke for the bones of an hour and I... Regular listeners to this show will know when it comes to my daughter, Marsha, I can talk till the cows come home. I have so much to say about her and uh, so many things I want to share with people about her. There isn't a day goes by that that special little girl doesn't do something that puts a smile on my face or makes me think, oh, I'd love to, I want, I want to share that with somebody. I want to tell somebody that. I keep saying I should write her book. I should write down all the different quirky little things that that, that happens uh, with her. She's a, She is Amazing, amazing. She has enriched our lives in so many ways. And that's not to say that it can be easy. She is a special needs child and she gets her moments as I get my moments. But overall, she is an absolute blessing in our world. And long, long may it continue that we can continue to look after uh, her. She's, she's, she's a great kid. So thank you to Martino Donoghue for putting that piece together and thank you to The Echo for putting it in uh, yesterday and I know there was a lot of people were commenting online yesterday and I I read through all of the comments and I really appreciate them so thank you. On the priest and what's appropriate and offered your gifts and shaking hands at mass and all of that. Don and Caroline Patricia what difference does it make to Father Walsh what people bring to the altar by way of offered your gifts at a funeral? At the end of the day it's the general public who pays wages. After all, that's what he signed up for, says John in Carrigaline. While another John says, people are cribbing about shaking hands. I go to a lot of GAA matches on meet friends that I haven't met in a long time. What do you do? You put out your hand and you shake hands. You never think about what kind of germs you're going to pick up. Another WhatsApper says, hi, talking about shaking hands at mass. What about going into a supermarket and getting a trolley? How many people have used those trolleys every single day? 
and how yeah and I don't know if I've seen them being cleaned do they go out with some kind of a hand sanitizer and wipe the top of all of the trolleys yeah but you see if you can become a germaphobe uh, where you won't go outside the door you won't literally um, pull the handle on, on any public door because how many hands have been on it before so yeah you're right it's the very same with shaking hands at mass or shaking hands at a funeral if you're going to go to that length you'll just be wearing gloves and not placing your hands anywhere at all Graveside traditions and funeral traditions Hi Patricia when my husband passed away the undertaker said to my two daughters he told them to write a letter to their dad to say how much they loved him and how much they would miss him Uh, these were placed with a rose and were put into his coffin this was in the United Kingdom and then we brought him back to Ireland to be buried I then read the poem Togetherness at his uh, graveside isn't that a lovely thing to do what a nice caring undertaker to even think of that to put a letter in and I'm sure lots of people do that as well place a letter in the coffin just to it's a kind of, I mean, to, to the to you, you would hope that somewhere, somehow, the deceased person is picking up on everything that you're saying in, in the letter. But it just brings great comfort, doesn't it? It just brings a little bit of comfort. And anything that can bring comfort to bereaved people, I say bring it on. I, I, I really do. And another text just says, back in the time, of, oh, this is Colette, sorry, Claire, I just spotted your name. Back in the time of the ancient Egyptians, they were buried with their chariots. They were buried with food, etc. Wine, beer. Their dogs and cats were even mummy fight. So the tradition has been there going back many, many centuries to bury items with the person. And I suppose the offertory gifts is a kind of symbols of the person similar to what they did in previous generations where they bury the symbols with the person instead. As we've already been hearing this morning, we had quite a mixed reaction to Father Thomas Walsh's piece in the Gronabraher Parish newsletter when he wrote that items like cigarettes, beer and football jerseys are unsuitable as offertory gifts during funeral masses. Not all priests agree with him though. And joining me is Father Tim Hazelwood from the Association of Catholic Priests who is a priest in Killa in East Cork. Uh, Good morning to you, Father. Father Tim. Good morning. Now, Father Walsh says some of the gifts are appalling. Have you ever seen what you would describe as an appalling gift being brought up at Mass? An appalling gift? I, I, I suppose I, I prefer if we could maybe just look at what this is about really. You see, I think it's, it has, the issue has become simplified. Um, um, I, somebody contacted me and asked me my opinion. I hadn't heard what Father Tom had had to say, so I just gave my opinion. And on one of the, on the paper, it said that I criticised him, which is not the case. I just have a different opinion on the matter. Like what happens now in funerals is, is that you have people who probably don't, don't know the priest who come in, and um, I suppose it differs from, from the age of the person who dies. But if it's a young person. They want to somehow honour the young person. And a young person would be playing sport. Like, they wouldn't have done an awful lot in their lives. Mm-hmm. So things like uh, maybe they'd have a car or they'd have a jersey or be involved with hurling or football. And it's not a gift. What we do, if people wish, is that before Mass begins, they would bring up a symbol that represents something edifying about the person's life. You know, something... And that's what it's down to communication. I try and meet the family beforehand and we talk about and just listen to them what they want or what they'd like and why they'd like it. 
rather than just saying, you can't bring this up, you can't bring that up. Just talk to them, listen to them, and explain to them a little bit about what this is meant to be, we're trying to do. And would you ever, or have you ever, refused and said, and not even refused, but sort of steered them away and say, that's not appropriate? Well, I wouldn't put it like that. Like, I'd say something like, like, the whole idea is that it's something edifying about the person's life. Yeah. Like, if you have someone who's died of cancer and you want to bring up a packet of cigarettes and the name And they died of lung cancer, yeah, that would be... Oh, yeah. my God. But, but, but I couldn't even see a family wanting to do that, realistically. Not too many, no, I haven't. No. I haven't... Like, the most challenging is young people because it's... They have a whole group of friends who want to do something and you'd have music and different things that would... That speak to them... Yeah. So, like, mightn't speak to the older generation in the church, but would speak to the younger mourners. Yeah. And like, you must remember too is that like, this is a very sensitive moment for a for a family and coming out and being with a blank sort of rule. I don't know. Is it like like what people remember then from the funeral is that oh they wouldn't allow this, they wouldn't allow that. Yeah. It's an opportunity you know, for evangelizing too, because, and this is one of the other problems, like Father Tom works in a, a, a huge parish in the city, and many of the people who, who, the funerals, they wouldn't be attending Mass, they wouldn't know him. And it's one of the challenges now when we have fewer priests, we have more area to cover, we, we might know the person. So, like, we're going up saying if you're a Mass, and someone down there and a family, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know at all. Yeah, because the the one thing that Father Father Tom said that the uh, particularly about the inappropriate gifts, mm. he said they're from families of little or no faith. Do you treat families who are not practicing Catholics any differently when it not, comes? No, not at all. No, you know, like we're all on a faith journey at different stages, and and like is coming to the church a privilege, or is it a moment of opportunity to evangelize? You know, this is the, their opportunity. Uh, to engage with the church, so do we, do we use that, you know, to show the love of God? Because that's what we're supposed to be about. You know, we're not yeah. The, because the yesterday, yeah, uh, that's interesting. Because yesterday, when we were discussing it, there, there was one listener in particular made that point that you know, surely, particularly for people who are not practicing and fallen away from the church for mm. whatever reason, and then they want to bring their loved one to the church mm. for the funeral, that this is a chance for that what happens there might turn them back towards Absolutely. the church. Yeah. Yeah. That they'd be made welcome. You yeah. know, to know that in your sadness there is a place that, you're, that you are welcome. But it begs another question too, which is like our society is becoming more secular. There needs to be secular venues for funerals. Now what happens at the moment is that some people choose to go to the crematorium and they'd have some sort of uh, a ceremony there. Yeah, and but it's there's 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 a void at the moment, um, and like it it has been taken up with weddings because hotels and different places are now venues for secular and humanist weddings, whereas that we don't for we don't have for for funerals for funerals yeah, we don't yeah. at the moment. And then the, the on the issue then of of eulogies and eulogies going on too long. Now we did have a number of people who were agreeing with yes. Father Tom on this, mm. saying that you know sometimes it goes on and on and on and on and yes. on. Uh, particularly when the priest has already covered all of the uh, of the points. What is your view on a family member doing a eulogy? But again, it's down to what I said earlier. You know, it's about 
communication. I, I'd have a word with the person who's doing it. Sometimes the word would fall on deaf ears, and very often, sometimes the eulogy is about the person who's saying it rather than the person yeah. who's died. Yeah. So what can you do with someone like that? They're grieving. You know, and that's it. They're grieving, and um, so I'd have a chat with them and, and maybe just put out a few points, like, like what do you hope to achieve in the eulogy? What would you like to get across? What's the best way of doing it? And you could say, which I would if we were doing the symbols at the beginning, say, look, a lot of that is covered back there. Mm. You know, and just, and then it's up to themselves whether they accept that or not, you know. Yeah. And but it, you're never going to dictate, oh, I'll have you on a, on a stopwatch. <laughs> oh, God, what, you know, it's, it's, um, there are families who are grieving. Uh, yeah, mm. yeah, it's a very sensitive time and, I think as a church, this is where the this is where God comes into it. Like this is the God moment. Mm. So, did, is it the God that condemns and is is very black and white? And matter of fact, or is there a little bit of tolerance? And you know, um, like in some tragedies, it is very very difficult. It is because people are in shock. You know, they are totally in shock, and they feel they have to do it for them. And then you're taking that away. And then when it's young, a young person, mm. particularly if it's a death by suicide, yes. there's always the danger that the death will be glorified. Yes. And that's, and that's trying to get that balance right. Yes. But what we, what we try and do and is that we make people aware of things like the Samaritans, that you do need to talk. Yeah. It's yeah. important that anybody who's here who has a worry, please talk to someone and about listening to people. Do you know, it's just, I think, an approach, an attitude. Okay, listen, as always, you're a very caring and a tolerant priest and, and, and the good people of Killer are lucky to have you, Tim. Listen, thank you for that and thanks okay. for joining us on the programme. Good right. morning to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Father Tim Hazelwood based at Killer and he's also a member of the Association of Catholic Priests. Uh, John Paul taking your calls, 1850-333-103. Dennis says, good morning, Patricia. That priest, and this is not Father Tim, Father Tom, would want to get real. Death is the business and the priest is providing a service for the family they are more than likely beside themselves with grief the last thing they need at such a vulnerable time is a lecture if the priest wants to be paid he should defer to the family and allow the family decide what they want to do or not do at the funeral that's kind regards from Dennis Thousands of you tune in to C103 every day Now you can win thousands of euro to say thank you for listening to C103, Simon's Celebrity Seas will now play across the entire day. Guess the celebs to grab the cash. Tune in to win weekdays from 6am on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Back to school traffic in Bandon could be made even worse this year with the news that the closure of North Main Street may be extended until the end of September. Fina Gale Councillor Gillian Coughlin has been looking into this uh, for us and uh, she joins me. Good morning to you Gillian. Good morning Patricia. Now Gillian the route closed on June 17th and it was expected to reopen when? It was expected to reopen at the end of August Patricia um, and unfortunately it seems as though the progress that they had expected to make has not been made between archaeology and other issues 
So they have applied to Cork County Council, Wardenburg, the contractor, have applied to, to Cork County Council for an extension of time on the road closure to the 27th of September. And Cork County Council is reviewing that application. Okay, so they're reviewing it. They haven't confirmed it. No, okay. not, as yet. not as yet. And had the works been deliberately scheduled to coincide with the school holidays? They had, I believe that they had been, um, you know, because that's such a major archery to two major secondary schools in the town and three or more, four um, primary schools, it was decided that the, the works should take place during the summer. And I thought that was a very sensible idea. Um, but of course, as you know, with construction projects, timelines can um, sometimes go awry. And that has been the case here. And I believe, look, if they go to, if they can make it to the top of, South, of North Main Street by the 27th of September, I think, you know, the suffering that has gone on, OK, will be prolonged for residents and traders on the street. But, you know, September will be difficult with buses and whatnot. But as long as it does not go into the winter time and mm. into, you know, the really deep winter, um, dark mornings, dark evenings, I think that's that is important as well. You know, um, September at least sometimes can be nice weather, can be easier to deal with. But there is no doubt there will be chaos. Um, with traffic and parents trying to get to work, trying to get their, their young people to school, um, buses, you know, there will be delays. And perhaps maybe the schools should maybe consider thinking about staggering opening times. Yeah, the case good be, idea. Maybe good during idea. September, you know, um, in order to facilitate that. But in during September, if this road closure comes to pass, then certainly um, diversions will be, the, the, the current diversions will be in place. That is up Old Cork Road in Bandon, in the McCroom Road, and of course the Southern Bypass for heavy vehicles. So it will it will be, um, I mean, traffic in the mornings in Bandon is heavy at the best of times and can be very slow to try and cross the bridge in particular in Bandon. So um, this will add to that, uh, to that congestion. There is no doubt about that. And I know last week, I think it was last Friday, we were talking about excessive delays, but that was tied in with the beef farmers protest at the meat factory that caused added complications yes. to the traffic, didn't it? Yes, indeed. There, you know, there, there was, there's always something, as they say, and the beef protest um, certainly did. The Gardaí were up on McGrew um, Road on point duty there to try and keep traffic flowing. Uh, and today, indeed, there are some, um, there are other road works going on around in Shannon, Balnasig, and outside of Bandon. Um, traffic counters are being laid, so there will be stop-go on the roads as well. But we have to remember, I suppose, Patricia, Summer is high, you know, road maintenance time. Yeah. And um, this, these works, you know, are important. And we can't complain during the winter time that the roads are in poor condition if we don't give them absolutely, a absolutely. And I'm always saying it. To, work done. I'm yeah. always saying it to people: you just have to suck it up while it's going on, as inconvenient as it is. But then, yeah. you know, in the years ahead, you'll have completely forgotten about it, and you'll be glad when your water supply is good or your roads are good, uh, whichever the necessary work. And there will be other road closures to follow the North Main Street one, isn't that right? Well, at the moment, as you know, so there, there are three sites um, active in Bands at the moment. We have the Glashen Road, we have North Main Street and we have Watergate Street. Okay. So um, I just made inquiries there before I came on this morning as to where they intend to proceed to after North Main Street in particular. Um, I was hoping they weren't going to say Kilbrogan Hill and it seems as though they may go to Dunmanley Road instead, which would give um, that archery some little bit of relief during the winter and perhaps they could come back to Kilbrogan Hill at another time. Um, residents and businesses really on that North Main Street, Kilbrogan Hill, Convent Hill um, trajectory have really suffered over the past couple of months. So I would like to see them get some relief um, and maybe that the work on Dunmanway Road could take place 
and then they could resume on Kilbrogan Hill at a later date. Now, that's not confirmed, but I expect that that may be the way that they will go. Um, Watergate Street work is ongoing. Again, that's difficult for, for residents. It is a long detour um, around from Watergate Street into town. Um, and in fairness to the contractors, they have tried to accommodate people and to open the road where they could so that um, people you know, could get to town more easily. But that is now, and that is ongoing, and those works are ongoing. Um, and then Glashen Road, there's great progress being made there. They are on their way up to... Um, to the T-junction there at the Methodist Church. They're at Kelleher's at present and uh, we hope that there will be um, that that progress, that they will be there, finished there by the end of August. So then of course they'll be on to St. Finbar's Place which yeah. will again cause major chaos but it will look literally we'll cross that bridge when we come to Okay, alright but you do have sympathy for the business community. It oh, is it's, It is really tough on them. But I'd like to compliment also the residents and businesses of Bandon and the hinterland. The businesses have really come together to work on promoting the town. We've had a marvellous festival there with, with locals and businesses organising a really, really fun-filled family activity um, weekend there. Ballyuna Bandon was outstanding and people came to support it, which I really was heartened about, you know, that... People, I think, begin to have begun to realise that you know things won't take place if you don't support go, go out. Them. Absolutely, and really come to that. And the Marvel Marquee is coming in September, which is another great event. So I suppose it's to really recognise that great efforts are being made. We have a wonderful town. There are, you know, we've seen Finbar's Place regeneration, Allen Square, or the Allen Institute around there has been beautified. And the investment has taken place there, and the Bandon Tea Prep coming down the line while these works um, are coming to completion, will make our town really renewed. And these works, hopefully, as I'm always saying, will attract more businesses to the town. That really is the future of the town. Small and medium-sized businesses, people working in their own locality, spending the money they earn, keeping the, the town vibrant and, and alive. So that really is my hope for the next, you know, three to five to seven years for Bandon. Small and medium enterprises setting up, setting up in Bandon and the in the locality, and people um, having money to spend, money in their pockets, spending it locally. In local shop business. local, shop local is what it's all about. Uh, Listen, Gillian, we pre- we appreciate uh, that. Thank you, and thank you for joining us thank on the program. You. Good morning, Tim. Bye bye. That is uh, Fianna Fáil councillor for the Bandon area, Gillian Cochran. On what's not the best of news, even though she started, she ended on a high fair juice, but North Main Street in Bandon, it now looks like it is going to remain closed until the 27th of September. If you have children that you'll be taking to school during the month of September, you have been warned to take note because you certainly there will be delays, so you're going to need to allow for those delays and leave in plenty of time. There are some water outages and we're getting calls in from people saying, what's wrong with the water? There are, there's a burst water main uh, that's affecting Reenrar West, Bantry and surrounding areas. Irish Water, Cook County Council working on that. They expect to have supplies back by two o'clock today. And then there are reservoir works going on uh, that are, is affecting parts of Mallow and the surrounding areas. And I don't know if it's affecting the entire town of Mallow. Um, but certainly we were getting calls um, earlier this morning from sort of the White Oaks, Summer Hill, that general area this morning. But we're, I'm now being told that it, it will affect supplies to Mallow and the surrounding areas. So if that's the most of Mallow, uh, Manor Park, that would all be in the one area of uh, White Oaks. So I don't know if it's just 
that part of Mallow but they're telling us until 5, or, uh, five o'clock uh, today uh, that's in the Mallow area This is the Court Today replay on C103 getting reports in the Court McSherry lifeboat have been called out this morning. Uh, they are heading to help out a diver who is after getting into difficulty at the site of the Lusitania. So hopefully that will all end uh, well and uh, we think of all the great workers on the Court McSherry and indeed all of the lifeboats. They are just terrific. They're the most amazing uh, volunteers. If we get any update on that story, uh, we will bring it uh, to you. Celebrity Seas, we will be playing this hour. If you want to take part, I'm told and Simon will fill us in and tell us more that one of the three was guessed yesterday. C. C and C. But I don't know if we can work out, if we can try and get it out of which of the three has been uh, has been guessed. At 2,200 euro. If your luck is in today and you're able to tell us who these three people are. C. C and C. We'll be writing a cheque with your name on it for €2,200. 1850-333-103. If you want to take part this morning, can you give John Paul a call, please? We've been getting some calls in already this morning from parents in Nohoval. They have been informed by Bus Aram that they're not entitled to concessionary bus tickets to travel to secondary school in Kinsale. They have been told they can go to Carrick-Tuhill but the secondary school in Carrick-Tuhill is full and there's no bus to Carrick-Tuhill. I'm I'm a bit confused by that. Bus Aaron can't dictate where young people go to school or is that a new rule that I'm unaware of? But anyway, we're contacting Bus Aaron just to find out what is going on. But as I say, getting some calls in from parents in Nohoval to say that they are not, they have been refused concessionary bus uh, tickets. I don't know why it Carrigtool is or sorry not Carrigtool Carrigaline. I don't know why Carrigaline is being mentioned if there isn't a bus to Carrigaline. Why would be why would Bus Aaron be saying go to Carrigaline instead? Anyway, we'll see if we can get an update on that. If anybody else from the Nohoval area wants to comment or if anybody else is having problems with concessionary bus tickets, this is the time of the year when you're going to find out if your son and daughter is going on the bus or not. And if they don't get on the bus, it can just cause huge amount of complications for parents who then have to try to organise how to get children to and from school. Not the easiest of things if you're not in walking distance to the school and if you're getting on the bus you're obviously not in walking distance. 1850 We're looking for your pet questions please for after half past 12 today because Jane Pickett our resident vet will be joining us. If you have a pet question get it in and while I'm on the subject of vets after that lovely chat that we had yesterday with that veterinary surgeon from originally from Kerry but living in Dublin um, Tim Kirby was not his name who set up this petbond.ie I've been on their website fantastic well worth checking it out if you are looking to buy a pet particularly if you're looking to buy a pedigree pup you know and you're going to spend money you know you don't want to go down the rehoming route you want to buy a pup we're trying to get people to move away from puppy farms if you go onto their website tell them the type of dog you want and they will be able to tell you an ethical breeder in your area or close by where you will be guaranteed when you go along to pick up your pup your pup will be socialised hasn't come out of a puppy farm and you're not going to get any of the problems that you can get as we've known and heard from people over the years who end up taking a pup while you might say oh, well, at least you're getting them out from the squalor of the pup, f- puppy farm but it's the problems 
that you will have for the future with your much loved dog. You need to be so, so careful. But of course, rehoming, we're always trying to push rehoming. And the Pet Bond website have got the most gorgeous animals that are up on it for rehoming. So it was a lovely piece that we did uh, yesterday. And trying to end animal cruelty and anything that we can do to end animal cruelty, we will always push. And then to read in the papers that the ISPCA in Cork was called to a rented apartment. Now, it's, they're just saying somewhere in central Cork. I don't, I haven't got exact location of where this apartment was. It was this day last week and it was the letting agent called in the ISPCA after they discovered that whoever was living there had vacated the property and they left six pets behind on their own. One guinea pig was already dead in the flat when the ISPCA, just Lisa Donovan, the senior inspector, wonderful Lisa, who we've spoken with many times on this programme, when she went in, she found a guinea pig dead. dead. There was four other guinea pigs who appeared to be malnourished and absolutely terrified. God knows how long that they had been left. Obviously no food. Then there was a goldfish that initially wasn't visible in the bowl because the bowl had half evaporated and it was filthy, dirty water. Now, I don't know and I, I can't find out if the goldfish has made it or not. But under the Animal Health and Welfare Act, the ISPCA inspectors who are designated as authorised uh, officers and this all came in about five years ago and they've been handed powers which are similar to Gardaí so they can now investigate suspected animal cruelty and obviously that's what they're going to do in this case. It includes the power to interview suspects under caution, uh, to take prosecutions which on conviction there's a maximum fine. Did you know this for animal cruelty of a quarter of a million euro which I was unaware of are you can go to prison for anything up to five years. Lisa Donovan the inspector speaking to the Irish Times says she was now preparing for a prosecution in the goldfish and the guinea pig case and she believed that this prosecution if she can get it to court go Lisa will be the first of its kind in Ireland because she said it's predominantly cats and dogs and horses the prosecutions are taken for they've never yet has there been a case before the courts for cruelty to a guinea pig and cruelty to a goldfish? At the end of the day, they're all pets and they're all animals. She said, I have never known a case regarding other domestic animals and I don't believe, she said, any of my colleagues have uh, either. Now, Lisa did say that the four surviving guinea pigs, which have been named Tina, Shirley, Billy and Greg, she got the names from and they're all recovering with uh, an experienced foster carer and there's no mention of the goldfish so I'm assuming the goldfish was probably already dead because she was saying the condition they didn't even realise there was a goldfish inside in the bowl isn't that just horrific so somebody renting an apartment and up and leaves and just leaves the pets behind didn't make any attempt to rehouse and as I say we don't know the fact that one was dead and the others appeared malnourished and absolutely terrified it would lead you to believe that they were in that apartment for maybe a week, maybe more, without any food. Shocking, absolutely shocking. We will keep an eye on that case. And when it comes uh, to court, we'll bring you the details uh, of it. Now, I've had a text in, and my apologies that I didn't get to this yesterday. We were just very busy yesterday with lots of other things and I just didn't get around uh, to it. But it was a text in from a listener to say, I am out here in the country 
living at the foot of the Ballyhowra Mountains, which sounds like quite an idyllic and a beautiful rural location. This morning, so this was yesterday morning, so Wednesday morning, I was awakened by a pack of foot beagles out hunting. My own dogs were disturbed and as were the neighbours. Now, what I'm trying to find out is the hunting season is not opened yet. And yet this happened yesterday morning, Wednesday morning at 6.30am. I would like to get in contact, please, with an anti-blood sports group and inform them of this hunting of young hares and also the fact, besides the animal cruelty, it is disturbing retired people who are living in the area. It is an absolute disgrace to have this hunting carried on so early in the year. We tolerate the hunting during the hunting season, but please not this early. I'm sharing the concerns of my neighbours as well. So I was trying to do yesterday afternoon, I did. I was trying to do some research on this and trying to find out that from what I could gather, and again, I'm open to correction because I don't hunt and I don't know a lot about hunting. But I think, am I right in saying that fox hunting is from the 1st of November? It's a winter sport. It isn't something that you would see happening in August. So I'm perplexed as to what's going on. The fact that this person said they appear to be out hunting young hares. Are you allowed to do that all year round? Is there a time frame on that? Is there a closed season, an open season? And if what the hunters were doing, they were out with, with a pack of foot beagles. Are they allowed to do that? I was thinking straight away, are these dogs that are being trained for the hunting season? Could that be it? Could that be it? So anyway, we are looking for advice, please, for these group of retired people living in a rural area at the foot of the Ballyhowra Mountains. Can anybody advise... Is there anything they can do or is it just part and parcel of country living? It's a little bit like when we get reports in about the spreading of slurry from somebody living in a rural area and will, you know, farmers will say, well, what do you expect us to do? We can't get sweet smelling slurry no matter how hard we try and we have to spread it and there's a time of the year when we spread it. So if you live in the countryside, it's just one of those things you kind of have to put up with. And is it the same in this case for these retirees in the foot of the Ballyhara Mountains? Do they just have to put up with it? As I say, I don't know. I don't know a lot about it. I don't know. Is it legal? Is it illegal? Is it something that an animal rights group would want to get involved with are there an animal rights group that we can point them in the direction of so if anybody can offer advice uh, please help us 1850 I mentioned earlier that there's a water outage in the Mallow area and I'm trying to find out what area of Mallow because we were getting calls in from White Oaks and Manor Park and we got onto Irish Water and they just tell us that reservoir work, reservoir works may affect supply to Madden surrounding areas until 5pm today. But I'll get John Paul to check. Did Was there a notification in advance that there was to be this reservoir works? Because I know they will send us, you know, we'll announce the day in advance to let people know. And I don't know if any households or any businesses got notification that the water was going to be out in the Mallow area. Maura is in Mallow with a business that depends on water. She's a hairdresser. Good morning to you, Maura. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm not too bad. Now, what part of Mallow are you in? I'm up here now in Beldeheen. Okay. Right. Now, when did you discover that you had no water today? Well, it's about half past nine this morning. Um, we a uh, customer come in and we were put, putting on a colour 
then we were due to wash off our hair and the next day we came to our notice that the, the water system we had wasn't heating. So we were fiddling with it and this and that. And we thought it was our own system first. We got a plumber in and he came in and he said, look, he just said it was the pressure is low. He said, get on to Annabelle. And we did. And then we rang Irish Water and they said, yes, that they, the, the pressure is very low and things like that. But none of us were told about it. And like we, like, we can't do anything today when we've no heated water. We can't wash people's hair. Or we can do nothing. And we're on late tonight and nobody came and spoke to us. Yeah, that's, yeah, because as I say, normally if there's going to be, you know, if the ESB has an outage, they'll let you know in advance, Correct. won't they? That's yeah. right, yeah. And I just think it's very bad. I mean, it's very bad communication. Mm. And then just to tell us, it's obviously it's planned works because, uh, but, they, yeah. it is, I mean, a burst pipe can happen. Correct. And I understand that and I have no problems. But like they said to me now today, it's until about five. And then after that, it takes about three hours again to get the pressure up. Yeah, you're so got, that means you, we're working late tonight. And that means that we've a whole day's work gone yeah, for nothing. You, and so, we're disappointing our customers and everything else. How, what happened with the woman with the hair colour? Well, to be honest, um, we had to go back. I had to actually sit her into my car and take her home to her own house and wash oh it off. Oh, my God. I had no choice. Fair dues. Yeah. Fair dues. Yeah, fair, but it's, fair very, it's very disturbing. And it's, it's, it's very, very bad business. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's very disappointing. I can't understand why they just can't pick up a phone and, and tell people about it and just give people warning. Because then you very, could... It's a courtesy, it, it, just a courtesy phone call will do. Because it's if you so. knew in advance, you could contact your customers and reschedule Correct. them for Absolutely. another day. Correct. Absolutely. So you've got a day off that you weren't planning? Well, it's disappointing, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I got this morning and like, and like a normal day and it's just, we have to close our door. All right, and that's um, Silver Scissors. That's silver right, Scissors. In, right. in just like anybody in an appointment with Silver Scissors, you can't go today. And I'm sure there's well, other... Well, let us ring. Just this... ring us because, you know, I say, we... yeah, just give us a phone call first. Yeah, OK. Or they do anything, give us a phone call. All right, Maura, thanks for Thank that. You, thanks for, for that. Uh, bye-bye. We're getting calls from the, the Ballydeheen, which is where Maura is, and Silver, silver, silver Scissors, the Summerhill area of uh, Mallow. So it seems to be that general area is affected by... But as I say... Irish Water are saying to us, Reservoir Works. So we assume they knew that they were doing the Reservoir Works because they're not of the common decency to at least contact the business community or even get on to us here in the radio station because we can issue warnings to people and let people know in advance. But certainly when it's the ESB network businesses and households, we've all had notes put through the door from ESB networks to say that there's going to be a power outage on such and such a day. So you can plan and that's, you know, common courtesy. That's tough on businesses and business, you know, business today, it's, it's hard enough on business people to keep going without all of a sudden a whole day's work gone and people discommoded and, and put out and somebody wanting to get their hair done, maybe they're getting glammed up to go out somewhere tonight. It's uh, it's uh, really very, very unfair. Uh, 1850 We might get back on to Irish Water and just find out what kind of a notification system they have. Do they have any notification system? Are they back in the good old days of the Cork County Council? We'd have always got them the notification. Uh, times they are changing under Irish water, that's for sure. 1850 333103, lines open. C103 Jobs. A mature, experienced bar person is wanted for full-time position. That's in Mallow Town. While an assistant manager is wanted for Ricky's Restaurant and Cafe, that's in Clonakilty. Staff wanted for a factory in McCroom, three to four days per week. And full and part-time store assistance required 
for Fix Line Depot. They're based at the Quartertown Industrial Estate. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. These little smiling faces across from me. Hello, Simon. Good morning. It's time to play Simon's Celebrity Seas. See and see. I think we should have a bit of a kind of a drum, you know, going, Simon, Celebrity Seas. You know, you know, you know, you know those really big voiceover artists that go, Simon, Celebrity Seas. If you can pay their fees, Patricia, by all <laughs> means, go make it happen. 1850 €2,200. See, That's what you could win today. It's interesting. Yesterday, on Nick's show, a uh, chap rang in, made three guesses. One of them was right. And you're not saying which? Well, it was either Saoirse Ronan, Michael Fassbender or Killian Murphy. And if you were listening to my show this morning, we eliminated two of them. So you can tell us. C. C and C. Okay, are you able to tell us? No. Well, I mean... It's yeah, the last one. Yeah, 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 because you know. that started on, on this show yesterday. Somebody made a stab and said Colin Farrell and you said close. Mm. C. C and C. Uh, 1850 333103 <laughs> do you want to play do you want to win 2200 euro so if you were listening to Simon's show this morning you should have worked out who one is and it's a step by step kind of game like it's a kind of a process of elimination now I know some people are being kind of tactical here and they're oh, holding I, back you know? oh is that what people do oh they do yeah, they get greedy oh you see oh they're your listeners of course you'd know them better let me see 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 and see okay it's it's a female and two males we have worked out that some of them, one of them at least is Irish. Is it only one? Um, there might be more than one. There might be Irish. more than one. Okay, <laughs> Margaret is in Dunmanway. Uh, good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Patricia. C. C and C. Okay, have, were you listening to Simon on the breakfast show this morning? No. I no. Oh, I Margaret. Yeah. That's shocking. <laughs> she was having a lie. Uh, she's barred. No, no, she's not. Okay, <laughs> Margaret, give us a stab. Who do you think the C, C and C are? Arlene Foster. Nigel Farage and Killian Murphy. Nigel Farage. Okay, yeah, they're good guesses. They are, aren't they? Has Has Margaret got one right? She has. <laughs> now, Margaret, don't Only say any, Don't say any. Do you, Do you reckon you know the one you've right? I think I do. Okay, I think I do. Okay, because we're not allowed to share. So hold that thought. You've got one of the three. Okay, Margaret, try again another day. Thank, thank you for that. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. It is two thousand. 200 euro it will go up by a th- 100 quid a day it's going to put it up by a 1000 euro a day well Simon nearly fell off the seat it'll go by 100 euro a, a day until we get somebody who has all three C C and C it's not me falling off the seat it's the accounts department that's true that's true and we'll play again this afternoon with uh, with Nick okay, after one Nick yeah. um, and Nick's guess yesterday the person who got one right mm. And Margaret's guess, were they the same well, they, 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 they certainly align, yeah. So anyone who heard Nick and you were the, you were yours this morning, <laughs> is it? Is it? Yeah, it's right. got to be. It's got there's to a, be. The, okay. Can there's s- a cork man in there. And is that the one that's been guessed? Yes. So it isn't the first C. one? C. C and C. So it's the third one. It's the last one. More after one? You just no oh goodness me. Okay, I've been I've been warned. No, no cracking. No, this one. okay. Just, just, All right, you know, go big on. money involved here. Go on, off with you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And we'll play again with Nick this afternoon. Ce- Simon's celebrity sees. C C and C. And every day that it's not one, 
we add another €100, so we're at €2,200 and there will be another 100 added today if we don't have a winner. Simon Celebrity sees your chance to play and win all day long, only on C103. Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend weekend. by turning up the feel-good. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of feel-good greatest hits. Join Nick Richards from 1 and Martina O'Donoghue from 4 as we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turning up the feel good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from 1. Feel Good Friday, only on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 And while we've been talking about the problems of low water and water out in the Mallow area, I'm also getting texts in, including this one from a listener saying, Patricia, there's very low water pressure in Milford this morning. I wonder what's going on there. Could you check it out for us, please? And we did, and we've been told the water treatment plant works may cause supply disruptions to Fremont, Newton Chandram, Liscarroll, Milford, where we're getting some texts in, Dramina and the surrounding areas. So it looks like all of these works have been scheduled, but for some reason, Irish Water don't let people know in advance, which used to happen once upon a time, because Nula in Mallow, who's been put out this morning because she got up thinking she had water. She said her whole morning has been held up. She put the wash on only to discover no water. And she says long ago, things ran much more smoothly when the council were in charge of water. She remembers the time when the council would actually come around and tell you that there was going to be a water outage in your area and they would give you days notice. So you would know well in advance. A little bit like what the ESB networks do. They'll put a a flyer through your door or do they post it out I don't know you know you'll just get a notice in the door saying that there's going to be an outage on and they give you plenty of notice like they won't say it's happening today they'll give you notice uh, of it but Nuala feels that since Irish water has taken over we've lost all that kind of that personal touch and letting people know in advance so there are certainly two areas there's the water treatment plant in the Fremont Newtown Chandler Nascarrel Milford and Dramina areas their treatment plant is having works done today and then the reservoir, there's works going on that's affecting parts of Mallow this morning and we're seeing people without water uh, completely. 1850 Now, we regularly hear from listeners asking if we have any updates on Charleville's Anne Hurdehy and how she's getting on with her battle to survive ovarian cancer, having received a terminal diagnosis back in 2014. Anne is currently recovering from her latest surgery and I'm delighted to say she joins me on the programme this morning. Good morning to you Anne. Good morning Patricia. Do you take great comfort from the countless strangers who just want to know how you're getting on? I do, I do and I mean it also helps spread awareness of the disease Yeah. you know which unfortunately there's still to this day Many women been diagnosed late stage due to lack of awareness or knowledge about the disease, both in the medical and personal uh, uh, general of life. Yeah, and you were the same. I mean, it was, oh, I was. with I you, mean, it, it was a late diagnosis, even though you had symptoms, but you were putting it down to it's only the change. Yeah. Women of a certain age. You see that it's not only a silent killer, 
but unfortunately gynecological cancers aren't spoken out in the open in the public domain. Just like male uh, cancers like testicular or penile cancers, they're not spoken out in the public domain. So more people are being diagnosed late stage because they're unaware of the signs and symptoms. And unfortunately, still to this day, textbooks seem to hone in on the fact that it's women postmenopausal that will more likely get ovarian cancer. But it's women in their 20s, 30s and 40s that are now getting ovarian cancer. And I mean, the Emer Case Foundation is one girl. I mean, she was in her 20s. Yeah. And she passed away from ovarian cancer. You know? And and if it's detected in time, is the prognosis good? It is. Most uh, women that are diagnosed with stage one, they're incidental findings. You know, they could be going in for something else and something will pop up in the skin. Okay. Uh, stage two, up to stage two or three, I think your, your outcome isn't too bad. You might have a, a risk of it uh, recurring. But late stage, then you're just battling constantly. Yeah. You know, you're more in the palliative treatment scenario than at that stage. Uh, and that's unfortunately where you found yourself back in uh, 2014. Yeah. You found out last month that you had a tumour in your pelvis near your hip. I think yeah. I, re- I read online yeah. um, and you were operated on uh, this last week. Yeah, I was operated on two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay, talk to me through that. What happened and um, and, and how did the operation go? Well, I mean, I had my previous surgery 11 months ago where I had a total hysterectomy and partial bowel. And within, I'd say, seven months, um, the blighter started knocking on the hip area again. But it was small. So we decided to leave it until it was causing more discomfort, which it did. It would stop me in my tracks, the pain. So then we did another scan and my doctors decided then it's time for it to come out. But it was larger than expected and it was attached to the blood vessels and the bowel. So they had a lot of poking around to do to remove it, but which they did. And um, the CUMH nursing staff and doctors are absolutely second to none. And um, got through it. I was only in for five days due to their care and support. Um so now I had to be reopened where I was opened seven months or eleven months ago, but a beautiful scar. <laughs> I must say it's absolutely phen- phenomenal scar. And sure himself is banging away and doing the housework and doing. He's the great. You're a great. You're a great man in himself, PJ. Oh, yeah, you you really do. But is is that unusual? That they'd go in through the same site? Is I I, I no, no. I was hoping for keyhole surgery. That was my. Because I didn't want surgery at all. I was hoping for radiotherapy. And unfortunately, uh, radiotherapy wouldn't be beneficial to me because it would cause more damage than good. Yeah. So um, he said he couldn't do keyhole surgery either with the position the tumour was in. So as he said to me afterwards, he he was lucky he didn't do keyhole surgery because uh, he'd probably have missed where it was. It was in such an awkward situation. So he said to me, look, I'll try and reopen where I opened you so you'd have less scarring, which was right. Isn't that great? You know, absolutely phenomenal. So almost he should have put a zip in the last time. I'm Could telling you, <laughs> open those kit bags. <laughs> so I'll just pop that open there. And how, how, are you, how are you feeling now post-surgery? Post-surgery, I have my good days and bad days. I had a down day in the hospital. You know, I was crying and everything going, you know, is this worth 
fight, you know, and I have to go through all this. And I mean, I was told on Tuesday that it will come back again, uh, more likely in the same spot again. So I know there's more surgery ahead of me in that area again, you know. Mm. And I was there going, oh, my God, can I keep going on? But the only thing that keeps me going is himself is having a great old time. He's able to do the shop now without ringing me in mid-shop to say they haven't got X. So will I get Y? Now he's able to make the decision on his own. I'm not getting any more phone calls. And I have great support from him. And at the start of all of this, it was one of the things you wanted to make himself sufficient for, yes. uh, for God forbid, a time when you wouldn't be around. And yeah. if my memory, he couldn't boil an egg. Not a hope. Not a hope. How is the cooking going? The cooking is going, going great. Unfortunately, I have no appetite. Ah. So um, I can't uh, explore his culinary skills. But he does the shopping. He does the cooking. Yeah. And he does the housework. When he have time, if he's not out in the gardening, and uh, oh, he's just phenomenal. Isn't that great? Himself is, you know, second to none. Uh, I mentioned earlier some of your Facebook posts about himself, <laughs> and does he does because he's not on Facebook, is he? PJ? No, no. He, does, he knows, re- does, does he read? Does does he read? Does he read what you write about him? He does. <laughs> he's sitting beside me while I write down what I'm writing down, and I mean, as he said. It lightens the load. It and does. I mean, we've met loads of people who who actually uh, salute us now as himself and herself. <laughs> around, <you know? laughs> and and you know, as you say, you of course you're going to get down days. Yeah, I mean, you have to. If you're in the same position as I'm in, you have to have down days. It's irrational. You you have the fear, the fear of what's going to happen tomorrow. Am I going to be around? And if you try to talk about your fears with a close family member, they shut the conversation straight away, or, uh, straight away for protection of you and them. Mm. You know, they'll probably say, oh, sure, I could be gone before you. Or, sure, tomorrow you could be killed by a bus. That's the conversation shut down immediately so you can't go forward with your fears. So that's why I think it's so important to have a confidant outside of the family. I mean, you have friends, good friends that you can talk about or you've Ark Support House in Cork or even the Mary Mount Hospice who I found find absolutely brilliant and you can speak about your fears and you can speak about your hopes and you're not going to know, you know, you know you're not going to be here forevermore and um, you can try and make plans, I mean even the grandchildren now at this stage, they're used to the word cancer they're used to seeing me as I am, mm. you know, unfortunately, everybody's affected by the cancer, not only me. And it's harder for them. But I mean, my granddaughter said the other day, is it gone now? And oh. I said, it's gone now, but it could be back again. And she goes, ah, that bloody old cancer, would it ever leave you alone? You know, yeah. and the other one was saying to me, will you be around for my communion next year, Nana? And I said, I hope so. Because that was when you had the list, the, the bucket list and everything, the yeah. things you wanted to do and, and didn't want to do. And one of the things that was really important to you was to be around for your grand, your first granddaughter's communion. Yeah, and I was and, there for that. Yeah. And I have my second granddaughter's one next year now. And uh, I think she's kind of, she's a very deep person, a deep little girl. So she worries inwardly. So I have to try and be upbeat around her, you know. know. It's hard on children, isn't it? It is very difficult on children um, to understand 
first what you're going through and what the disease is, but you do have to give it the proper word. You do have to say cancer because at the start I was saying I have a germ in my tummy and this germ, you know, and then they were saying, oh, can I catch the germ too? Germs are contagious, you know, so I had to give it the word and I had to explain to them that, no, they can't get it. But you're coming up to your fifth anniversary of diagnosis. Are you already beating the odds, Anne? I'm not really. I I thought I was doing great, but I speak to women from all over the world and some of them were diagnosed in 2007. Yes, and stage three and stage four, and they're still going strong. You see, there's been so much innovative treatment in the last five years. And I just want to say to those women that have been newly diagnosed, Dr. Google will give you statistics that are five years out of date. Okay. You know, because they'll say that up to five years. I mean, when I was told I had three months and then I went on Dr. Google and I read about malignant ascites, which was what I had. And it said, please do not read further if you do not want to know the outcome. And it had the same prognosis, three months. But at that stage, there was a new treatment that was only after coming out a year previous. And that helped me. And now if you're BRCA positive with the gene in your family, I have this treatment. So that's helping me. So there's so many innovative treatments, immune therapy, etc. at the moment. And I have a wonderful oncologist. Unfortunately, there's one gone from CUH and due to the embargo. We're not going to get another one for a while. Shocking. Yeah, so a lot of females and males on the books waiting to be seen. It's just, uh, just uh, it drives me nuts when I hear that. It, it, I, it really yeah. does. And, and um, when you look back on the five years, how has cancer changed you? Well, it has made life more simple, more less complicated. As I said in my blog, before I would look out the window and on a sunny day and see the dust like every other person would and go, jeez, I have to clean those now. Whereas now I look out on a sunny day and just see the blue skies and go, well, this is a good day. I'm feeling good today. Let's go out today. As I said to himself, can you just imagine me in my dying breath going, I'm glad I cleaned those bloody windows the fine summer day we had. I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> you know, I think housework and all those, they, it can be left there for when a rainy day comes. Things are more simple, more or less complicated. I find it easier to say no to people now. Good. I find it easier to say, if I'm not feeling well, I'm sorry, I don't feel like talking today. Is that okay with you? You know, and they understand. And people that don't understand what you're going through, you know, you kind of say, all right, they just don't understand what you're going through. But it's a lot easier when you've cancer. You're kind of forgiven for a lot of things. You can get away with a lot of things you, you wouldn't. Have, you wouldn't have got away with in the past. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. and your, your boys are are good. It's, boys, it's been tough on them. You know, you, been, you're their much loved mammy. Yeah, it has been very very tough on them. Uh, Dean now, who lives two doors up from me, he's in here every single day, or you'll get a text every single day from him or Charlene, his wife, saying, "How are you feeling today?" Or they don't. They might, you know. Are you up to a visit? You know, they know. Yeah. But it's very, very difficult to, on them because they're thinking of will man be there for Christmas? Will man be there for her birthday? And Aaron is very, very deep. My second one, he's very, very deep, and he'll just go, "How are you today?" You know, you'll get the text, "How are you today?" And that might be it for a while. He's not able yet. 
to cope after five years. Mm. You know, as I often said to him, sometimes there, when I'm feeling very, very down or very much in pain, I go, you know, sometimes I wish that I did die in 2014, you know, because there are times in within the five years that you're saying to yourself, how can I go on? Uh, you know, how do I have to face another course of therapy? How can I put up with this pain and this nausea and this tiredness, you know, and upsetting everyone around you? But then the day after you go, something else nice happens and you go, I'm glad I wasn't, you know. I'm glad I'm around for that. Yeah, because yeah. depression is huge in uh, cancer sufferers, absolutely huge. Because after the treatment, a lot of people are left there in limbo and anxiety kicks in and depression kicks in. And it's very difficult for those people to come out of that. That's why I think those cancer support groups that you you spoke about, how uh, how important they are. I mean, massive. I mean, we have for ovarian cancer, Overcare Ireland, the Emer Casey Foundation, the Karen Fenton Group, our cows, we have Breakthrough Cancer Research, who are absolutely brilliant to me. I mean, I help them, but they'll ring now and again, how are you in? Mm. And then through them and the Mary Keaton Foundation, we were able to make a little film in May for World Ovarian Cancer Day, which can be seen online, with four women, including me, speaking about our symptoms over a cup of coffee, you know, just to put awareness out there. And unfortunately, mm. one of those women who was inspiration to me, has passed away since. Yeah, I, I, I saw it. I, I, it was a fantastic video. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I realised that one of the ladies had, had passed away. Yeah. And that must be tough on you then. Very tough, because I knew her very well through the Overcare support group and meeting over a cup of coffee above in Cork, you know, or down in Limerick, wherever we have a cup, decide to meet for a cup of coffee. And there's one on in... Saturday in Cork for Overcare, a cup of coffee and a chat, which is free of charge. But you get to know them. You get to know about their family. You get to know about their past lives. Our, we were there that day in between takes. And I was saying to her, you know, I'm going to have a great old 60th now. And then she was saying, you know, we should celebrate each birthday as if it's our last. <laughs> and none of us were next night or near 60 at this stage, you know. Yeah, I know. We were, we were making plans. And I was saying to her, you're right. And we were talking about what we were going to do for our next birthday. Now, she wasn't well that day, but we were having a laugh, you know, because you can have a laugh. And I just got a shock within two or three weeks that she had passed away. Yeah. And a sense of humour. And it's uh, on the good days, it's the sense of humour keeps you going. Oh, you have to have a sense of humour. Oh, definitely the sense of humour has to, to come into it. And I'll find humour in everything. No matter what, I will find Have you always been like that? I have. Yeah, yeah. I have. I've been very witty. Yeah. And very humorous. And I mean, thing, sometimes I shouldn't have been humorous at the right, you know, <laughs> appropriate times. But uh, I think I'm forgiven of that. But I find humor in, in everything. And I think it's, it's a fantastic ability to have, yeah. you know, because you can't be going around morose every day. And the least little thing at all, I said to himself often laughing, it was like yesterday now. We were at, no, a funeral wasn't funny, no, but coming home from it, we stopped, and my appetite was bad. But we stopped at a garage, and I just saw the most luscious-looking hot dogs ever. And I said, I'm going to get one of those, because I said, I'm not eating, but I have an urge for one of them. Mm. So I got it, and we got into the car, and I munched into it, and himself says, do you know what they're made of? And I said, I don't give a sugar what they're made of, Mm. they're delicious. 
And he said, sure, they're made of pig's toes and God knows what else. Oh. And I said, I don't care. And then I said to him, you're the one, when I had an argument, I was there going, you're the one trying to force food down me when I'm eating something then you're trying to turn me off. There's no pleasing you at all. Oh. So we have the old banter <laughs> going home and my hot dog, it went down beautiful. I don't care what it was made of, what country it was made in, it was delicious. Yeah. Yeah, and it's what takes your fancy at that exactly. moment. Uh, a listener listening to us in the Milford area who is so, who is battling cancer uh, says, I'm feeling depressed all of the time. Yeah. Uh, does Anne know of any support groups in the Milford area for cancer sufferers? I would I would suggest get on to the Irish Cancer Society. They would be able to tell, because I don't know what type of cancer this person is, yeah. is suffering from. There's various different groups, isn't there, Anne? There are various different groups. Now, unfortunately, there's no pockets if you understand me, there's yeah. no local groups. But I mean, I'm available for loads of people to talk to. But you have our house in Cork, who are absolutely brilliant. They offer counselling services and relaxation services. Uh, you could contact them or you could contact the Irish uh, Cancer Foundation, yes. And they might be able to put her into contact. Yeah, and in Milford, there might be something in the Limerick area that could exactly. be closer to her as well. I think there's someplace in Newcastle yeah. but reach out That's oh some, definitely that reach is, out that is the message yes. so any plans anything coming up Anne anything you're going to do when you're well, fully recovered I'm planning my my birthday now for October I know oh. it's not a huge birthday it but I'm not celebrated if it's like the last one and there has to be ABBA involved <laughs> in some gimmick, gimmick in it that has to happen so just a warning out there to all those ladies that enjoyed the last one there's another one. Round two is on the way. Round two is coming. Listen, yeah. as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you uh, and pass on our best wishes to himself. <laughs> and you mind yourself and we'll You're talk. So oh, by the way, fantastic article in the Echo. It, thank you. A lovely photo of Marshall. You're very good. You're yeah. very kind. God bless. Okay. You mind Good yourself. Bye-bye, bye-bye. The truly wonderful, inspirational Anne Hurley. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And Donald says, hi, Patricia. What a wonderful woman Anne Hurley he is. Any chance that she'll play her song that she did with Tommy Fleming that was on the TV. Wish her all the very best of luck. And that is from uh, Donald. But you see, that was that was at a live show. Miriam, wasn't that the show that it was on when Anne ticked off her bucket list by singing with the wonderful Tommy Fleming, the Joni Mitchells on both sides now. So unfortunately, I don't have it. I think if you go on YouTube, I've, I've certainly seen it on, on YouTube if people want to see it. She was just fantastic. And herself and Tommy Fleming have become great buddies ever since which is which is terrific and I know whenever Tommy plays locally he makes sure that Anne Hurley is in the audience and uh, they've they've struck up a great friendship which is great so I don't unfortunately have it I don't even know if we have that Joni Mitchell song in our catalogue of songs it's it's both sides now it's a beautiful song that's a, a beautiful beautiful song uh, but thank you and, and uh, passing on your good wishes to Anne as indeed others have as well and uh, thanking us for having her on the programme it was our pleasure I can tell you talking of TV how do you always know we're getting towards the end of, of the summer from a TV point of view the Rose of Tralee. It's one of those things when you were growing up, when the Rose of Tralee came on the TV, you knew that school was just around at the corner. And there are, in all of the papers today, there are some wonderful photographs of this year's roses. 58 women beautiful roses will be heading down to the kingdom for this year's Rose of Tralee there's a farmer in there there's a therapist 
and there is the Melbourne Rose works in a maximum security prison. She is a girl by the name of Jordan Balfrey. She's originally from Limerick. She works in the acute psychiatric unit at a maximum security prison in Melbourne. She says every day is different. We offer assistance to those with psychiatric needs. We deal with prisoners suffering from bipolar conditions and schizophrenia and offer them extra assistance. She moved to Australia in January of 2018 and she has just returned ahead of this year's festival which runs from the 23rd to the 27th of August. And as I say, lovely, lovely photographs of all of the roses. Well, the first lot of the roses that are in town ahead of this year's festival, which is always a great bit of uh, fun. 1850-333-103. Can you get your pet questions in? I can see some coming in already. You can call John Paul with a pet question or you can text her WhatsApp as 0862-103-103. I spotted a letter to the editor in the Irish Times newspaper today that made me go, I feel exactly the same as that. And it's a letter written by a gentleman by the name of Ned Monaghan and he is writing from Connecticut in America but he's one of our own because he opens his letter by saying, Sir, I was born and reared in County Cork I just don't know what part of County Cork. Does anybody know Ned Monaghan now living in Connecticut? What part of County Cork is he from? Anyway, he says, when we went out to play after school or before the tea, we went hurling and we used our hurlies to do that. Yet we will all be familiar, I assume, with the words of the song, The Bowled Teddy Quill, who, as I remember, said, hurled the ball right and left in their faces. To do that, he used a hurley. Not a hurl. Hurl is a verb, not a noun. I've read a fine article in this paper, this is the Irish Times, about a fine man who they said made hurls. He didn't make hurls. He made hurlies. This is finally off my chest. I truly hope that I will never again see hurlies called hurls. If this trend continues, donkeys will soon be called donks. Yours, and that's signed Ned Monaghan from New Cannon in Connecticut in America. And it's one of those things. And I'm trying to work out when it started. When did we start to see in print or hear broadcasters or hear sports commentators refer to hurlies as hurls? Certainly when I was growing up, a hurley was a hurley. And that's you, you hurled with a hurley, but you played with a hurley. And I know myself when I was talking to John Paul about this letter that I saw in the paper today, I know myself that when I over the years have been doing a piece about hurling and we might have been talking about a short supply of hurlies. There was a problem at one stage wasn't there with the the disease that was killing off the ash trees and there was going to be a problem going forward predominantly hurlies are made from ash and there was there could be a problem going forward with not enough ash. And I, I clearly remember like reading pieces that I read online or I saw in papers and they were referring to hurls. And then I would find myself referring to hurls, knowing in my heart and soul, it's not, it's a hurley. So when I saw Ned's piece, I thought if, if he was a local man, I'd be ringing him up to say, come on here and explain that to me because you could explain it better than I hope I've done. But I think he's dead right. But And it's good. Let the debate now go forward from here. And I wonder... Have others thought about that? Do you or do you know somebody 
who uses the word hurls. And where did it all start from? You play with a hurley and you hurl with the hurley. So Ned is right. A hurl to hurl is a verb. It's not a noun. And I just would like to know if anybody can tell us where that all started or where it all came from. I'd, I really would love to know. 1850 Somebody says Hurleys are called girls in Wexford and Kilkenny. Are they? Did, oh, when you're going out to play hurling, did you bring the girl with you? Did you bring your girls? Pick up your girls there. Did not know that. See, don't you learn something new every day. Let me know your thoughts on that. A hurley or a hurl? And where are you on that side of the fence? Now, a listener has been on with a text that they sent in that I just didn't get around to. So I'm going to get around to it now. And this listener is wondering how others feel about this and looking for advice. Hi, Patricia. My, this was last Friday. My son has failed his driving test for not leaving the roundabout when his view was obstructed by a truck in the right lane. Now, yes, he did have more marks against him, but he would only have nine marks against him if he had not had the additional one for failing to pull off because he claims his view couldn't be seen at the roundabout. So if he hadn't got that tick, then he would have have passed. Now, listen to I think it's a money-making racket. So he was parked at the roundabout in Mallow. Not parked. He was at the roundabout in Mallow waiting to take off. So he was in the left-hand lane and then there was a large truck in the right-hand lane. And in order for him to see what was... He couldn't clearly see what was coming around because of the truck. But he was marked down for that because the instructor reckoned he should have, you know, motored on. He should have been able to see and he should have driven, gone across the roundabout or whatever way he was going or take, come off the roundabout. So that was, if that one point hadn't been marked against him, then he would have had nine other things that he did wrong. But you have to have 10, is it, to fail the test? Is it a money-making uh, racket? And the listener's been back on to say, Patricia, I'd be really interested to see, uh, did you get any reaction to my son failing his driving test for not pulling off when his view was blocked by a truck in the right-hand lane? Uh, surely that's a plus you should be getting instead of uh, a negative. Does that happen to anybody else? Was the young lad right to do what he did in that he waited for the truck to move off or the truck to move in some way so that he could clearly see if he was able to uh, move on uh, and is it only right and proper that he lost a mark for that and therefore failed because he ended up with 10 marks against him and if you have 10 you fail 1850 John Paul taking your calls the phone lines by the way have been busy so please bear with us on that I can see people with the hurls and the hurley somebody has texted in and said Trish it's a hurley ok thank you for that someone else has texted in to say it's uh, oh my apologies. This is where predictive text, you know, when you write a word and it gets gets changed. Hurleys are called girls in Wexford and Kilkenny. That should have read, Hurleys are called hurls in Wexford and Kilkenny. Now, this is where it's going to get interesting. So, is it something that it's, because obviously Ned, writing from the States, was born and raised in Cork. And he says, they're Hurleys, they're not hurls. Is it something that's only common in other parts of the country? Therefore, the journalists who have been writing about hurls as opposed to hurleys were natives 
from other parts of the country where they do refer to a hurley as a hurl. This listener is saying Wexford and Kilkenny, if you're in either of those two counties and you pick up what we would call a hurley, they would say they're picking up the hurl. Is that true? Anybody from Wexford or Kilkenny can vouch for that, that you call Hurley's hurls in Wexford and uh, Kilkenny. It's big up north, in northern counties also, John says, they refer to the hurley as the hurls. But, you know, Ned, I'm, I'm with Ned in Connecticut, formerly from this parish, when he says to hurl is a verb. Hurl on its own is not a noun. It is a verb. I am certainly with him. 1850-333-103. Get your pet questions in, please. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Kildallery Community Development, they're holding their weekly lotto draw that's in Walsh's Bar tonight and the jackpot there is €2,300. Social dancing in the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow tonight. Music is by Philip English plus a DJ and it's from 8.30 to 12 with admission €10. The Alzheimer's Mobile Information Service will be in Mitchellstown Square today, or should I say it is there today parked there until half past two this afternoon. They have expert staff and volunteers available to advise on dementia, services and supports in the area. And if you want to find out more and you can't make it to Mitchellstown today, you can ring the Alzheimer Helpline on 1-800-341-341. The Mick O'Regan Memorial Motorcycle Run, that's an aid of Pieta House, that's going to be held this coming Saturday. Now it leaves from Bottevent at 12.30pm. Sign up opens in Kit Roach's Bars half ten. All are welcome and refreshments and entertainment in Kit Roach's then after the run. And a fundraising coffee day for Aid Dogs for the Disabled will be held also on Saturday at the home of Noreen O'Connell, Sally's Cross in Canturk. You're invited to pop in for a tea or a coffee between 12 and 4pm and you can meet Nadie's puppies at the same time. And SUIS is an organisation which deals with literacy and numeracy challenges in disadvantaged communities. They're looking for volunteers to help with their maths and reading programmes to help children aged 7 to 9 through fun and easy numbers. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Games. If you'd like more details, can you contact Suez Ireland on their email, suezireland at suez.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Okay, Hurleys versus Hurl. By the way, thank you to somebody because it's a, it's, a, it's in the letters to the editor in the Irish Times today and it's written by Ned Monaghan from New Cannon in Connecticut in America. But he says in the letter that he was born and raised in, born and reared in County Cork and I was wondering where in County Cork. I knew we'd track him down. Somebody says Ned Monaghan was born in Kildare. Don't know if he still has family there or not. If he does, can you let Ned know in Connecticut that we discussed his hurl versus uh, hurley on the programme. Now, lots of people are saying the same thing, that this is hurl is a common, hurley is commonly referred as a hurl in Wexford and in Kilkenny. And Richard is in Kilkenny, I don't know if he's in Kilkenny or he's from Kilkenny, joins me on the line. Uh, Good afternoon, Richard. Good afternoon. Are you from, you're from Kilkenny? I am from Kilkenny and living in Kilkenny City. Okay. Is it a hurley or a hurl? It's a hurl. And has been all my life. And how, how did you come up with that? I have no idea. The generation before me, we were only ever told to pick up a hurl. <laughs> but, do you, but, but do you not hurl with a hurley, as in that's the verb, to hurl? Um, it's never used. It's a verb. It, it's something is never used in Kilkenny. And I myself involved in clubs and teams up through the years. It's grab your hurl. And and in fairness, people in Kilkenny know how to hurl. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I suppose we do, in fairness. Um, and do you know, because somebody else is saying Wexford, do you know if it's other parts of the country as well? Uh, again, in Wexford, it's a hurl. It's a hurl because um, I was involved with um, an underage inter-county team and I heard those people down there, again, it's pick up your hurl. And get out hurling. And where pick up your hurley and get out and hurl. Isn't it funny where the <laughs> we're almost the exact opposite. Anyway, so Kilkenny definitely it's the hurl. It's a hurl. It's a hurl. Keep hurling. Good luck. Thanks a million. Bye bye bye. Okay, some more of your comments in on this. Podrick in Glamwood says, Patricia, I'm with the hurley, not the hurl. Uh, this is this is the same as the kids. Hello, it's children, not kids. Oh, Podrick is one of those ones that hates when people use the word the the term kids. Kids are baby goats. Are are other kids called goats? Uh, so Podrick doesn't like children to be referred to as kids. But he's definitely with the hurly, not the hurl. Hi, this is another Trish. Says hi, Trish. The expression hurl is and always was the term used in Midland counties, i.e., Leash, Offaly. And we're hearing now Kilkenny and Wexford as well. Never hurley, unless you're talking to a child. Uh, I heard of girls, I never heard of girls being called hurleys in Cork. We always say me old doll and they never complained, Trish. Oh, sorry, I thought that was signed by Trish. That's signed by a gentleman, I'm assuming instead. Oh, thank you for that. Okay, a number of people definitely here in Cork, it is hurley, not the hurl. And uh, we're all with... Ned Monaghan in Connecticut who we've now discovered is originally from Kildare. Okay, I am told that 
we have, or I want to go to, oh, Fiona Corkham. Fiona Corkham, our senior news reporter today, got to spend some time with the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed, and we asked Fiona to ask Michael Creed what were his views about what was going on with the beef plan movement and their ongoing protests. And here's what Michael Creed, Minister for Agriculture, had to say. Uh, this is a very difficult time for, for everybody. Beef farmers, uh, it's not their natural habitat to be picketing outside uh, beef uh, processing plants. Um, I do acknowledge it's a very difficult time for the industry and that's reflected in the fact that we launched recently a €100 million Euro scheme for them. Um, it's very difficult uh, for farmers who have cattle to sell as well. It's a very difficult time for people who are uh, working in those plants. And what I've been trying to do um, over the last several days is to f- arrive at a situation whereby we can have roundtable discussions uh, with the beef plan movement and all of the stakeholders in the beef industry, including the factories. And what I would say is, look, we, uh, I think we have the basis of that now. We have an agreement from MII to, to participate. Um, and I would urge the, the beef plan movement uh, to come off the picket line now. Let's sit down around the table. I've seen the agenda that they have. I think collectively we can make uh, progress on those issues. Uh, so I would say you know, they've made their point and they've made it very effectively. But it's time now to sit down around the table. I think they're afraid that if they come off the picket line that um, all of their the last 12 days will have been in vain. That's a call they have to make. Um, it's clear that they've made a very uh, cogent argument and nobody disputes that. And I mean, uh, even prior to those protests commencing, there was an acknowledgement of the difficulty in the industry, as I referenced earlier to the, the delivery of the 100 million, which is building on a, a, an earlier scheme this year of 20 million. So it's 120 million of extra money from the exchequer going into the beef sector in 2019. They have made that case well. Um, I, th- I think now the next logical step, the next logical step is to sit down uh, around the table with all of the stakeholders. And that will include all of the farm organisations, including the beef plan. It will include all of the state agencies under my department's remit. I will be there. And most importantly, from their point of view, the meat industry will be there. Um, So I would urge them to avail of that opportunity to come off the picket line now and sit down around the table. Do you think, honestly, that a resolution can be found to this situation? Well, I I hope so. And all all precedent suggests that these issues are resolved around tables eventually. Um, And I I would hope that the beef plan would recognise that. As I said, I've seen the agenda of issues that they want to discuss, uh, 13 points, um, and I think we can we can make uh, a useful contribution around the table on those issues. The beef plan movement in Bandon, um, they're outside the ABP over in Bandon, they made a strong statement yesterday and they said that they felt very let down by you, particularly because this is in your own constituency and you haven't gone over to visit them. What would you say to that? Well, look, this is a national issue. Um, indeed, it's an international issue because if we look at the price of beef right across Europe, it's in a very difficult space at the moment. What I have been trying to do... Um, is in a way with a clean pair of hands to bring both sides to the table. If I align myself with one or the other, then I alienate one or the other. Um, so what I've been trying to do is to arrive at a situation where in, what in essence is a dispute between two commercial entities, beef farmers and their processors, to arrive at a situation where I can bring both into the room and sit down around the table. And that's what we have on offer now to all stakeholders, including the beef plan, 
to sit down with the department and the meat industry. And uh, that's where all of my efforts have been focused in the last several days. They also um, asked the Tullamore show to withdraw an invitation to you to with- to open the show this Sunday. And they said that if you do open it, that they won't be going themselves. The farmers said that. Um, what do you say to that? Well, look, I've always acknowledged that protest is a legitimate part of any democracy. And the protest in Bandon, and if there's a protest in Tullamore... Um, as long as protest is legal and, and uh, conducted in, in that frame, I don't have a difficulty with those viewpoints. I have an invitation of long-standing to go to Tullamore. I intend to go there. Um, it is the National Livestock Show. It's an opportunity to engage with farmers and farm organisations and the broader rural community on a range of issues, including beef. I've never hidden from engagement with farm organisations. Um, I like to conduct it in, in a civilised fashion around the table. Uh, I have met in that fashion with the beef plan. I've met with them previously here in Cork. I've met with them in Tipperary. I've met them in the department offices in Dublin. In fact, any time I've had a request uh, to meet with them, we've tried to facilitate those uh, engagements, as I do with all farm organisations. Um, there are reports as well that some of the beef processing plants are now le- temporarily laying off staff as a result of the protests. Would you have any response to that? Well, look, as I said at the outset, I mean, this is very difficult for all parties and uh, be it protesters who are outside these plants who would much prefer to be at home doing their farming business. Uh, it's a very difficult time also for employees in those plants. And the last several days have not been easy on them either. And certainly with the prospect of they being laid off, it you know, exacerbates what is a very difficult situation. And that's why I think the time is now to sit down around the table. I appreciate what the beef plan have done in terms of raising the awareness of the issue. We need to sit down around the table now. Is it upsetting for you as the Agriculture Minister to see farmers feel that you know, they have no other choice now than to protest because they're just not able to make a living? Well, look, I mean, my focus has been in terms of trying to support the sector. We have, we have moved from a situation where it's legal or permissible to support the price of the product by the state. So my uh, sole purpose in terms of all of the initiatives that we have taken on the beef industry has been to support incomes. So the 100 million euros, the 20 million euro scheme earlier this year, putting 50 million extra over the last two years into ANC payments, trying to get producer organisations up and running, still, you know, a work in progress so that farmers have greater leverage at the factory gate than just as single farmers. All of my efforts in that area have been to try and support farmers' incomes, um, acknowledging that it's a difficult market out there. I mean, if you look at the price across Europe, not just in Ireland, uh, beef is you know, at, at a low price for all primary producers. And that's why the focus has been to try and support farmers' incomes in that context. And that's what we have been doing. And, and you know, we face a very difficult situation ahead of us in, in the end of October, should the UK leave uh, the European Union without a deal. And that has been also very much a focus of our efforts in terms of within the whole of government, the type of financial supports that would be necessary for the agri-food industry in that context and working with the Commission in that space and trying at the same time to deal with the immediate crisis that we have in the industry now and making that case to Europe because the 100 million is a result of an acknowledgement of a case that we presented that we had a particular problem. Notwithstanding the fact that the price is low in every country across Europe, we were the only member state that received the 100 million euro package 
Some of the farmers that I've been speaking to over the last couple of days say that they fear that if this crisis isn't resolved that it will be the death of rural Ireland. Well, the death of rural Ireland has been, uh, you know, predicted by many, many people and um, I don't see evidence of, 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 of uh, that in rural Ireland. This is a particularly challenging period and part of the efforts that I'm involved in at the moment is, aside from this particular problem, is in the bigger picture looking at the future of the common agricultural policy and how we might deliver targeted supports in that context to people who need them most and uh, you know that's a debate that's not without its challenges either um so like the common agricultural policy is a critical part of our toolbox so to speak to deliver supports to rural ireland and to farmers in particular and you know that's something that's uh, a job of work that's on the way at the moment and we would welcome engagement with rural communities and particular rural farming organizations on that matter so last question for me um just from what you've been saying there, you are working on this. It's not a case of ignoring the farmers. Listen, my job every day uh, is to work with farmers and for farmers. Um, it's not always an easy task, uh, but it's a, a job that I'm thoroughly committed to. I do acknowledge it's a very difficult space now for farmers in, in the beef sector in particular. And that's why, as I said, we've had the initiatives that we've had uh, more recently, the 100 million euro scheme. I think the beef plan have made their views very clearly and cogently and professionally. But in all disputes, the ultimate resolution is sitting around the table. And I think we have the template for that now. And I would really appeal to the beef plan to come off the picket now and to come into the roundtable discussions that we've organised. There you go. That is the Minister of Agriculture, Michael Creed, speaking in the last hour with Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, once again calling on members of the beef plan movement, the farmers, to come off the picket line. I don't know if uh, that's going to happen or not. Some of your thoughts in John in Formoy says it's the grading system that factories have installed. They need to put in a department official at the grading system, not let the factory do their own thing with the grading machine. It should also be extended to 36 months, not 30 months, as you need to feed the cattle constantly to get the cattle fat for 30 months. But it's getting more cattle into the factory uh, quicker. Uh, By text, why did the minister ignore the farmers till now? Even though if you listen back on that interview, he was it wasn't that he was ignoring either side. He was trying to let both sides come together themselves from what I picked up from it. Anyway, this texture says feels the farmers have been ignored. Well done to the farmers, says this texter standing up for their rights. And what about the poor cattle? This is a Douglas listener saying what about the poor cattle stuck in trucks in this hot weather? I'm joining the rest of my family and becoming vegetarian. Well, says a Douglas uh, listener. And of course the beef plan movement calling for a meaningful proposal to give farmers a fair share of the retail margin of beef. That's what they say they are looking for. Downside to all these protests going on, of course, is the news that the factories, 22 factories are affected by the beef plan uh, protests. And now we're hearing in the Irish Farmers Journal, which is out today, that the three biggest beef processes in the country are to lay off staff. Dawn Meats, APB and Keepak have had factories across the country affected by the beef plan movement protests in the past 11 days. Cattle supplies to factories owned by the three processors have been reduced and the factories are now moving to lay off staff. Dawn Meats 
is to lay off staff across all of its sites. According to the Irish Farmers Journal, APB, Dawn and Keep Pack are among 22 factories where protests are taking uh, place. Now, the T, the MII, which is the Meat Industry Ireland, who represent the factories, they have also called on the beef plant to abandon what they say is an illegal blockade of factories. The Irish Farmers Journal says that the a- APB Care, Nina, Bandon, Waterford, Dawn Meats in Grenna, Dawn Meats in Ballyhonas, the Liffey Meats in Ballinasloe, Liffey Meats, Bally James's Duff, Meadow Meats, Rathdowney, Slaney Foods and Liffey Meats, Hackettstown are all not operating and there was no kill at Keepak in Kilbegan on uh, Tuesday with the news now that the processors are saying they are going to lay off uh, they are going to now lay off staff and you can't help regardless I think of where you are in this fight whether you stand with the beef beef farmers or not you can't help but have sympathy for the staff they're almost like the collateral damage are they not in the midst of all this 1850 get your pet questions in please and thank you for people who are pointing out that Ned Monaghan and that wrote that letter to the editor in the Irish Times about the hurley versus the hurl. Uh, people, everybody is reckoning that that's Ned Monaghan who was originally from Kildare. I'm sure it is. Pat Mallow is convinced it is because he said Ned Monaghan, he would know exactly what a hurley is. He has a set of famous brothers from Kil- Kildare and they all knew how to hurl. Laura Gelga, RC 103. Back Rap, August Ashore, Tupac Shakur. Rugak Tupac in Nua Aruk Merk. Vi bwint mor ega hismohori sa vaktas m kerta sevilta de guini gurma iverka agus ka avahar trevsha e brzunfiu agus ieg umper Tupac. Kuiga kura gumur e vaim er Tupac agus hostig se e kumakul in nejog octosaks. Kiol se kuig album kiol agus e in a vahig. For she boss and true law deog de van for nejog no kshe ox e kuglinas fe le brewer guelga is misha abini vinicon o gueskol hamosta vishmala ckade as a 3 kirkig Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mystery Veterinary Group, joins me in studio. Good afternoon to you. Hi there. And you are very welcome. And let us get straight into questions. John Paul is taking calls. You can text her WhatsApp as well. Your questions to 86 2103103. And Gronya from Kerry has been on to us. She has a Pomeranian male dog, not neutered, who's not neutered, has lost all his hair due to alopecia. I did not know dogs could get alopecia. She said he looks really terrible and he almost looks uncared for oh, when they take him okay. out for a walk. We've tried everything. She said he's much loved and well looked after. We just don't know what we can do to try to get the hair to grow back. Before he lost his coat, he was so beautiful. There was no dog like him. Would Jane have any advice? It would be much appreciated. Okie doke. You know, I find this really heartbreaking sometimes. Yeah. People feel so bad that their pets don't look, you know, let's say exactly like they would a Crufts or a dog show. And sometimes, you know, regardless of what we do, we can be taking the really, really best care of our pet possible. But sometimes if they do have a health issue, they might just look tip top. And there's no reason to feel bad about that as long as you're doing the best you can for your pet. And that's perfect. Um, It can be frustrating, though. I know that because you, I suppose you always kind of wonder when you take the dog for a walk. Oh, what do people think? Um, But I wouldn't worry. I think you're doing the best thing you can for your pet. Now, this little Pomeranian, if he has alopecia, 
there's a number of reasons that that can happen particularly let's say in a middle-aged to older dog I would always wonder well if it's happened all of a sudden and he's not had this condition let's say growing up or when he was a little bit younger what has changed and normally that would be something to do with the hormones in the body now he's eight he's eight exactly so provided he is otherwise well I think I would still be inclined to go to the vet now there's a number of things that can cause this so the main two ones will be a an underactive thyroid, very much like humans. Okay. Um, but dogs a lot of the time can get very funny alopecia patches, particularly along their sides and along the back. And another one, which is too much stress hormone in the system. And now it's not because the, the poor little Pomeranian's not stressed out or anything like that. It's a problem with the body making hormones. Okay. And again, that can cause signs like alopecia, hair loss, um, skin pigmentation. So the skin can become a little bit more black sometimes and other mm. signs like drinking and peeing too much um, and, and other things. Now, that would be my first port of call. I think the second thing is the common things are common. I would make sure that your pet doesn't appear itchy. And that it's not, let's say, scratching the hair out, as it were. It's not alopecia because it's itching. Now, all of the usual bases should be covered. So doing a good flea mite lice treatment, have a chat with your vet about the best product to use just to rule out any parasites. And maybe just getting your vet to have a good look at the skin just to see if there is any evidence of infection or underlying because hair problems. Because alopecia problem. in a human mm. will cause hair to fall out. Exactly. But it doesn't regrow, does it? Well, it can do. It okay. depends on what's causing the alopecia. All so right, if it's okay. a cause that can be rectified or solved, then yeah, the vast majority of the time, the hair will grow back. Now, if there's a lot of damage to the hair follicle for one reason or another, then you might get patches of baldness that stay. But normally, if it's a cause that can be solved or rectified or treated, the hair will grow back and you'd have a, a good luscious coat again. But I think there's a few things that could be going on, whether or not it's itchy or not, um, whether or not and there's if, other and signs. And if it isn't, if it literally is just down to it's not affecting the dog, because the mm-hmm. dog isn't looking in the mirror saying, I'm looking mm-hmm. a bit shook today, mm-hmm. just carry on as normally. It's, 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 it's growing you and what other people are seeing. Exactly. This is the really difficult thing. If it's not impacting directly on this little dog's quality of life, he's happy as Larry. He's probably just running around, you know, having a laugh, chasing balls yeah. and doesn't realise. They don't have a perception of what they look like. So as long as they're a happy, happy dog. Yeah, and there isn't. I think the important things really are just making sure it's not impacting his quality of life yeah. with either and itching. If, if it isn't, you just have to get used to looking at the dog that exactly. way. Exactly. But I would say a lot of causes are solvable. So it's yeah. worth pursuing. Okay, stay on skin problems. My dog says Pat has an itch and the hair has fallen out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got, she's gone to two different vets, mm-hmm. uh, given her everything they've suggested. Spent a fortune, says Pat, and mm-hmm. the poor dog is still scratching. Okey-doke. Could Jane, your vet, suggest anything? Would diet, could there be a change of diet? Would that help? So it can be quite a challenge to diagnose these little itchy dogs. Okay, and I my heart really goes out to them and their owners um, because itching is a real trial for everybody involved. It's not comfortable for the fish. It's quite annoying for the owner because you can hear them scratching away. But also you really feel for your pet. You don't want them to be distressed. Um, And also I totally empathise with the fact that it can be quite expensive and it can be quite frustrating because it can take a while to get lots of skin problems, both diagnosed and solved. Okay. Okay. The main thing I would say is stick with it. Um. I would say have a chat to your vet and 
they will formulate a diagnostic plan for you. So they may need to run some tests on the skin if they haven't done already um, to diagnose, let's say, whether there's any component of an infection in the skin or whether there's parasites in the skin or even some allergy testing to say, well, is it something in the environment that he's allergic to? Okay. now sometimes it can be a bit more complicated and even one or two or three of those things can be going on all at the same time. What I would say is with skin, a lot of the time it's about control. It's okay. not, let's say, a cure a lot of the time, unless it's something simple like an infection or parasites. Now, you're very right in saying that there could be a, a food problem. So we do know that a certain amount of dogs and cats are what we call food responsive. Um, so they may be allergic to something in the diet, but equally it could be something in the environment they're allergic to. A lot of the time it's difficult enough to isolate exactly what we're allergic to. It's like ourselves if we had a skin condition or, you know, you get the hay fever. It's trial and error, isn't it? It's trial and error. There's lots of tests that you can do, but what I would say is the vast majority of the time your vet will be able to guide you in the simplest way to diagnose it. And a lot of the time it's, let's say, trialing a special specific diet that has a different kind of protein in it than your dog would have been eating before or trialing a medication to settle down the itch. But I think the really important thing to do is not to jump straight to the idea of it being an allergy or a food problem to rule out the common things first. So the common things are common and the common things are infections and parasites. And I think just bear with this. I know it's really frustrating, but just trust your vet. And and I know Pat was, you know, doing the best by why when it didn't work the first time going to a different vet mm. you're probably better off sticking with the one vet who will do the series of eliminating everything I think we'll, we'll so. know the tests that, really that, that have so. been I done think, find a vet that you're comfortable with and yeah. then I think just really try and trust them yeah okay hi uh, there's no name on this my eight year old shoodle and I didn't know what a shoodle was so Ooh. I did a quick Google Google God, it's a gorgeous looking dog. It's a what? cross between a poodle and something. I don't know. I wonder but what it's something is. Just, I mean, they're just such a good looking dog. Uh, anyway, it doesn't make a difference. But this, guy, this dog, the Shoodle, has the habit of licking our duvet or cushions, especially when they've been freshly washed. Oh. Why would they be doing that? And is, is, is it lacking in anything or? Unlikely. It's a bit of a funny one. Um, as long as the little Shoodle is otherwise healthy, happy, bouncing around, eating, drinking, peeing, pooing, as per normal, I wouldn't be too concerned. Um, sometimes when we see them eating funny things, we can worry that they are lacking. And they can sometimes be lacking in vitamins and minerals, but I would say it's exceedingly rare. It really, really is. Um, a lot of these are habits, aren't they? A lot of it is yeah. habit. A lot of it is behavioural. I would maybe just be a little bit cautious. If you've changed what you're washing the sheets with and it's you know causing our little shoodle to have a lick at it, it's probably not going to do any harm, but as a precautionary measure, I might be inclined to change what you're washing the sheets with. You never know what kind of chemicals they'll be licking in, mm. um, if there is any kind of and obviously, obviously, yeah. the shoodle likes the taste. I wouldn't be doing it. I was getting probably yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Weirdly enough, uh, a shoodle is a described as a fun-loving and playful creature. It's be- cross between a poodle and a Shih Tzu. They ah. make excellent companion dogs, and they thrive on the companionship of people and other pets. Mm, I can imagine the poodle in there is going to make for a very clever dog, and the Shih Tzus are just lovely little personalities Abs- so. absolutely gorgeous okay a cat uh, neutered skin showing around her neck it actually started to bleed what could it be she's healthy uh, could it be some kind of a skin condition could she have got a cot somewhere because she is an outdoor 
indoor outdoor cat mm. there could be a few things going on here so I think you're very right to think if she is an indoor outdoor cat has she got caught in something um, I think a really important thing in here is is she wearing a collar and is it around the line of the collar could she have possibly got the collar snagged in something and it didn't pop off mm. and on that note if you're putting cats on collars please make sure they either have a little bit of elastic in them or a quick release snap so that they can't let's say get themselves caught in things and, and cause trauma they can to choke the they can yeah. they can so it's really important now if it's not one of those two things and it hasn't been, let's say, just caught somewhere, I would worry that maybe there might be a component of itching involved. Okay. Um, because cats, if you think about it, the easiest place for them to scratch is the back of the neck and the head and ears. So sometimes when we see lesions around the, the neck and the head, it can just be, let's say, a reaction to a bite of a flea or a mite. So it's really important to make sure the treatment for those is up to date. Sometimes it can be a little infection if they've got a graze. It's like ourselves. If you have a scab, it begins to heal. It gets really itchy. Um, and sometimes they can cause a little bit more trauma to the skin than was initially there in the first place. So making sure that there's not an infection present um, and your vet will be able to tell you that um, by having a little look. I think the other thing that's really important is if we are an indoor outdoor cat and we have got a wound on our neck, if if let's say there's other new cats in the territory there might be a, a neighborhood bully as it were and sometimes mm. if they get into fights it's very common for cats to scratch each other and god forbid bite each other now this is a um, neutered one but it's a no, and uh, you could have a feral cat in the area oh come absolutely in. and yeah. i wouldn't underestimate I, one of our little cats darwin he's a total nightmare he's a neutered male he's very young but God almighty, he gets into every single fight going. So it's not only Does just it? the tomcats. Yeah, the neutered ones. If they're really intent on, you know, guarding their territory, they really oh, can well, have a yeah, go. I, I thought it was, the, it, was be the, it would be the neighbouring, the bully would mm. be doing it. They'll, they'll defend their patch, of course oh, they will. They will, yeah. they will yeah. absolutely. So just in case there is, let's say, a little traumatic bite or a cat bite abscess, they can be quite nasty. So I would say the cause is a little bit uncertain. There's a number of things that could be going on. I'd visit your vet, get them to have a good look at it. They might need to clean it out or tend to it at that point. Um, some medication may be required, but I think without seeing the wound, it's difficult to say. So I'd say pop along to your vet. Just, get, just to, be, to be sure, mm. to be sure. And actually somebody was on to us um, last week or the week before, I can't remember, uh, to say thank you for giving very clear instructions on how to put on spot-ons. Ah. The person realised they were putting the spot-on on the wrong way. They didn't know you were meant to clear a you, you, you suggest it clear yes, exactly. and get it onto the skin. Great. Uh, couldn't work out whether spot on wasn't working, but um, <laughs> having listened to you, they now realise what's going on. So thank you for that. Okay, that's where we leave it. Thank you, um, uh, Jane. And we'll chat again to you next uh, week. That is uh, Jane Pickett from the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is next. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. <laughs> Thousands of you tune in to C103 every day. Now you can win thousands of euros. Thousands of euros. To say thank you for listening to C103. Simon's Celebrity Seas will now play across the entire day. Guess the celebs to grab the cash. Tune in to win weekdays from 6am on C103. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.